Welcome to Keep Calm and Cook On. I am your host, Julia Tertian. Thanks to OXO, one of the most trustworthy brands I know, for making this episode possible. For more about OXO and all of the everyday objects they make, head to OXO.com. That's O-X-O dot This episode is brought to you by sister-owned tahini company, Sum Foods, which is on a mission to connect communities through a shared love of food. To learn more about Sum and their mission, visit sumfoods.com. That's S-O-O-M foods.com. I am thrilled to kick this season off with Wendy Lopez and Jessica Jones, the two women behind Food Heaven, which is, in their words, a multimedia platform founded by two Black registered dietitians and BFFs. Wendy and Jess help people transform the way they eat and find joy in food through the practice of intuitive eating and body respect. I can say firsthand that Wendy and Jess's work has helped me transform how I find joy in food. I have a new cookbook coming out in March called Simply Julia, and it's all about healthy comfort food. So much of the book is about embracing a wide and generous definition of the word healthy and knowing it means something different for each of us. In coming to understand what it means for me, Wendy and Jess's podcast has been one of the most useful forms of information and support I've encountered. I reached out to them the other month to tell them just that, and I invited them to record the first episode of this new season of Keep Calm and Cook On. On this episode, we break down ideas in terms like health at every size, intuitive eating, and the difference between being a dietitian and a nutritionist. We also talk about how they navigate their friendship while working together. I love talking to Wendy and Jess, and I really hope you enjoy listening. Can I just ask you both just to introduce yourselves, just your name and maybe like where you are right now? And maybe we'll start with Wendy. Yeah, I'm Wendy, and I'm currently in my closet in the Bronx um, amidst a kitchen renovation. So if you hear weird background noise, that's what's happening. And I'm Jess. And I'm Jess, and I have a cold. I don't have COVID, though. Uh, I did get tested two days ago, and I'm getting tested today as well. And I am in the Bay Area, specifically in Richmond, California, Bridge City. So I'm really, yeah, excited to be on the podcast today. <laughs> Is that a thing people do from Richmond? I don't know. I know that like the bike, the local bike company is um, the black owned bike company is called Rich City Rides. So I'm okay. guessing that that's a thing. If not, I'm making it a thing. <laughs> Start here. Yeah. What's the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? Like when you say you're a dietitian, what what is a dietitian? Yeah, I'm so happy you asked that because there is a lot of confusion around this, and. The easiest way to answer that question is registered dietitians are nutritionists, but not all nutritionists are registered dietitians. So anyone like nutritionist isn't a regulated term. And so you could be a nutritionist like anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. But to become a registered dietitian, you have to go through a very rigorous um, academic process. You have to take a test. You have to do a dietetic internship. You have to do continuing education credits. It's a lot of work. And you have to keep up with the science because it's, I mean, it's a very um, evidence-based career. And so you have to be able to interpret the science, all of the updates that are happening in the science and translate that to the public in a way that they will understand. 
Um, so it's, there's like just a lot of credibility there. <laughs> and yeah. so Wendy, you met Jess, Jess was already in grad school to become a dietitian. Is that right? Yeah, and, exactly. And then you like basically followed. Those yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Did and you then to school together. We didn't. We didn't actually. I she was in Brooklyn College and I was at Hunter. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I did my dietetic internship, which is a year long program at Brooklyn College, actually, um, with Jessica's like professors and stuff. And Jess, where did you do your your internship? I did it at Brooklyn College. Oh, you did it as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. She was like a year ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for describing that difference, because I think a lot of these terms are thrown around um, Mm -hmm. without. I, I know that I don't always know the difference between them. So I just, I appreciate you distinguishing that and to know that it's clear if you read anything, either of you write or what you talk about on your podcast, that you come to your work with a lot of knowledge, but it's, it's nice to just, I think, remind people that, you know, that doesn't come from nowhere. <laughs> like there was a lot of work and time and energy that went into that. I know the following terms have big, long, nuanced importantly complicated definitions, but what is your sort of elevator pitch of defining both intuitive eating and health at every size? And I will say these are topics I'm going to be exploring in lots of like different episodes too. So I know no one has like one perspective on this and it's like the catch-all, but I would love to hear just in your words, I think these are things we're talking about a lot today. They're things that I are, I think really important to all three of us here but just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, just in the spirit of having everyone kind of on the same page and no one feeling left out, maybe I can give you each one. But maybe, Wendy, like how how do you define health at every size? Yeah, so health at every size is um, often confused with healthy at every size. Um, and there's a difference. So health at every size is that no matter what size you are, no matter what weight you are, you deserve to pursue health and whatever that means to you. I think oftentimes, especially as dietitians, like people think that, you know, when we talk about health, it's like, oh yeah, let's get you to eat more vegetables. It's like super simplistic. And it's, you know, with health at every size, we're looking at not just what you're eating, but really like all of the components of health, um, how you feel in your body, um, your, how you feel in your body, but also like your mental health, your emotional health, um, all these different components and how they interact together to create whatever health means for you. And in mainstream wellness culture, we're told like you, you, to be healthy, you have to be at a certain size. You have to have a BMI that's less than 25. That is the goal. Like you could be, you know, doing all of these like great, I don't know, like all of these great things, like you, you have a great relationship with food, you're moving your body, you have, you know, these great social relationships, you feel good, whatever that means for you. And it's like, but no, that's not enough. Like, it'll be enough when you reach the size and health at every size. um, It just deconstructs all of that. And it helps you create your your own definition of what that means. Um, And like, there is no goal weight. It's like, it's really about um, creating body respect and body acceptance at whatever size it is mm-hmm. that you're in. It's like a, a radical framework. Yeah. Like, like paradigm shift. Um, yeah. It has been for me. So yeah, thank you for breaking that down. And Jess, how do you 
to me, intuitive eating very much fits in to this framework of health yeah. at every size. So yeah. how do you define intuitive eating for someone who's never heard of it before? What's intuitive eating? Yeah. So I'll give you like the official definition in my definition. quickly. <laughs> so um, intuitive eating officially is a self-care eating framework, which integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought. Um, when it comes to eating, it's also weight inclusive, which like what Wendy was saying about health at every size, that's weight inclusive um, versus kind of <clears throat> more weight loss driven and like everyone pursuing that thin ideal. And it's, it's an evidence-based model with a validated assessment scale and over a hundred studies to date. So that just means that it's not just Do you have something... that memorized? <laughs> no, I, I'm reading it. No, I'm on their website. No, um, by all just so you have please. the official yeah, definition and then my thank interpretation. You. So I know people think that it's just like a made up thing and it's woo woo. No, there are studies to support it and studies to support the health outcomes that come with intuitive eating. And that when they look at people who are dieting versus intuitive eating, the people who are intuitive eating are able to maintain those um, healthy lifestyle changes longer than the dieting people. So I think people sometimes don't realize that it's actually really a validated tool. And in terms of my definition, what I always tell my clients is intuitive eating is really about um, just like self-exploration and discovery and curiosity and learning what it is that um, that makes you feel good when it comes to food, uh, your relationship with your body, all those different things. And also at the core, like learning how you can take care of yourself in a complex and comprehensive way and knowing that how you take care of yourself is going to be different from how somebody else takes care of themselves. And that's a hundred percent. Okay. And not getting so caught up in the noise and like, you know, the latest, this and the latest that just knowing what your blueprint is for your, your kind of, um, your being. So that's how I like to explain it. Yeah. I love that answer. And I think I just know from personal experience, being someone who is very much like, and we talked about this a bit, but like, you know, I was very much raised in diet culture. I had like a weight loss kind of mentality forever and a really like quick and easy way. I define it just for myself is like focusing on dieting means always having just failure as the background noise. Mm. And I feel like shifting to a more like health at every size, a more intuitive eating way of living. It's just I don't feel like I'm failing all the time. And that's, it's kind of that simple. And it's like, it's so complicated. It involves all these things we're talking about today, but it's also not complicated. It's like, do you want to feel good about yourself? Like it kind of comes down to that. And so I just wanted to share that in our kind of definition moment, this moment of like, here's this framework that's based on data, that's based on science and evidence. And, but also knowing it might take people some time to, wrap their heads around that or embrace that. And it might not work for everyone. And I'm just wondering for both of you, you've both talked about like learning about this, like not, you know, not being born just with all of the information you now have and being open to more information as it comes. I know I really identify with that too. And I'm just wondering for anyone new to this kind of stuff, like maybe they just read, it was at this point, maybe a year or two old, but you know, Jessica Knoll wrote that 
article smash the wellness industry and the New York Times, you guys have mentioned that article a lot. I think that was like a real like intuitive eating has been around for a long time, but like that brought a lot of people to the intuitive eating table. Um, so maybe someone who's like just read that article, maybe someone who's just kind of being like, oh, diet culture, like that's a term, like that's a thing. Like mm-hmm. someone who's just coming into this, maybe they've picked up the intuitive eating book or you know, the body respect book or any of these books that I just, I know I've like loved, but they're kind of like, okay, that sounds great. But like, I'm on this side of the bridge and you're over there. I'm just wondering for you personally, like what helped you get from here to there? I guess I'm assuming you're there, but it seems like you are, but like, I just, is there, was there any like, just like defining moment or was it just like um, reading and conversations on your podcast or with each other or with clients? Like, is it just over time you've found yourself, you know, over, I'm pointing to the other side of this big yeah. bridge. <laughs> the thing that I always think of is I was taking, I've taken a few courses, but I was taking this dietitian. Um, she's probably one of the most prominent like dietitians in this space. Her course her name's Christy Harrison. She has a great book out called Anti- Anti-Diet. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. And she was saying that it got to a point where recommending weight loss for her felt unethical. And I was like, ooh, that's a strong statement. Mm-hmm. There has to be, where is that coming from where you're really feeling like it's unethical? And so then and, and I, that always stuck with me, but I still wasn't there yet. The thing that really got me there was taking Evelyn Triple who is the founder, or sorry, the co-author of the intuitive eating book, taking her course for health providers and really understanding what intuitive eating was and how this would be transformative to my clients. And so I think taking the course was like, oh, I I get it. I understand why Christy Harrison was saying that it's unethical to um, be recommending weight loss for everybody. And that, and then taking that and seeing like, okay, let me try this with clients and just see like what happens and seeing how clients are just so much happier. They're so much more at peace. They're not like, you know, like you said, feeling like they're failing all the time. Also, like dieting causes a lot of disordered eating. And so once that you, you know, give yourself permission to kind of eat with a two minute with like kind of checking in with yourself, the disordered eating kind of resolves and like most of my clients. So I think that is when it really kind of solidified for me is just getting that like real time feedback from people who were really struggling and now feeling like, wow, I'm in a, a real place of peace based on kind of using, you know, this framework. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, yeah, I I think that's because you mentioned like for me personally, because I, I used to do like the calorie counting apps and all the things. And I remember like (laughs) my dietitian, because, you know, dietitians, like a lot of them get into nutrition because of their own like issues. I've never had an eating disorder, but I've definitely had some disordered eating tendencies. And I remember saying like, maybe this was like when I was in school to be a dietitian, like, Ooh, my fitness pal. I was like, this is like Facebook for dietitians. Like Wendy was on it. Wow. Like me, our other people have been on the podcast um, who have now like crossed over. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think also, you know, on a personal level, just yeah, getting tired of 
uh, feeling like you have to micromanage everything mm-hmm. about your food intake. Like that is just exhausting. And whenever I see people doing it, um, you know, whether it's family or out or whatever, I'm just like, oh man, I just feel bad for it. I understand again, diet culture, but I also just feel really bad and empathetic because it's like you, there is another way. Yeah. <laughs> like you can have dessert every day, you know, like it is totally fine mm-hmm. and you can eat and just enjoy it and move on and not have to, you know, balance everything out, you know, as you would have to do like calorie counting or on a diet. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm just, again, just nodding at everything you say and it resonates so much. Wendy, do you have anything to kind of add to that about like you're just kind of like getting from A to B and anything you might want to say to someone who's feeling a little stuck at A? Yeah. (laughs) I Um, just made a complicated diagram. (laughs) I'm following. I'm following. (laughs) You know, it just made sense. I and I'm and I'm really happy that it, it didn't take years and years for things to click because um we're trained to like regurgitate information. Like when we were in school, we you know, got all this information on nutrition science and it's like, okay, now regurgitate that to the public with zero consideration of culture, uh, socioeconomic status, like all these different things that play into um, the choices that we make with food. And so I was doing that, like, you know, any good student, I was like, this is the information I was taught and I'm just going to spit it out. Um, My first job was in a hospital in Harlem, actually. And it just wasn't working. I mean, it was just like right in front of me. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, like, oh yeah, for people who um, would want to lose weight, which is totally understandable because that's what all of their healthcare providers are telling them, you know, and I would try to like give all the recommendations like, oh, do this. Let's try to add more vegetables and cut down. And it just wouldn't work. Like maybe they'll shed some pounds here and there, but I did all of the stuff that I was supposed to do and it just wasn't working for people. And I felt really frustrated as a healthcare professional because I'm like, okay, am I doing something wrong? Like what's going on? And so it was just really refreshing to learn about a different approach you know about this different paradigm because I'm like oh my god now it just clicked in my head I was like this makes so much sense and then once you start learning about the history behind all this stuff and like with nutrition recommendations and how it's rooted in like fat phobia and racism and sexism you just get really upset and you're just like Fuck this. Yeah. Can we curse on your podcast? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yo, this is trash. Yeah. Like, this is burn how it down. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how are how are we, you know, because we go into this. I mean, first of all, it's like impossible to become a registered dietitian. It's so expensive. You give up like half your life to, you know, do all of the rigorous academic training. And the reason we do it is not because it pays well, because <laughs> it doesn't. It's because we want to help people. And mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, well, I'm not actually helping anyone Mm. and I'm definitely not helping women who look like me Mm. who are like you know who even when I was in um, the hospital my my patients were black and brown people who just didn't fit into that um, ideal picture of wellness and so yeah I mean once I came across that information and I think you know reading about all of this helps a lot just like getting a new, a different perspective, hearing about other people's lived experiences. Um, and cause that really, um, helped me tremendously and just like seeing things through a different lens. And, um, and after that, it was just like, 
you know, it's been an ongoing process of learning and growing. And, um, but for me, it just made sense. Yeah. I I'm with you. I'm so with you. And, um, I'll just say that I I'll put a lot of the books we talked about and stuff. Like I can put all of that in the show notes. I'll absolutely, of course, obviously be linking to like your site, which also has like so many resources and stuff, which is just to say, like, I think all of us came to a lot of these things, you know, and, and have learned from them. So they're there and I'm happy to share where a lot of those things are. So much about my upcoming cookbook, Simply Julia, is about keeping things as easy as possible in our kitchens. And that's where OXO and so many of their tools come in. Whether it's a tea kettle with a handle that stays cool, or an angled measuring cup that lets you see exactly how much is in it from above, OXO thinks of all the details so you don't have to. Easy. For more about OXO, head to OXO.com. That's O-X-O dot Sister-owned Sum Foods makes the creamiest, most flavorful tahini I've ever tasted. You can't make the best tahini without the highest quality ingredients. That's why Sum only uses Ethiopian white Humera sesame seeds. After harvest, the plump seeds are pressed into rich, buttery Sum tahini, perfect for anything from dreamy dips and sauces to decadent desserts. It's no surprise that Sum is the preferred tahini by some of the country's best chefs. And good news for us, it's also available for home cooks. Sum Foods started because of three sisters' passion for great food. Now they're on a mission to use food to foster togetherness. After all, what brings people together better than a delicious meal? Food has been at the heart of family celebrations for generations. Great food inspires, comforts, and makes you feel welcome. And that's exactly what they do at Sum. They create food with intention, food you want to share with others. Purchase the best tahini around on sumfoods.com and receive 15% off with the code KEEPCALM. That's S-O-O-M foods.com. The discount code is KEEPCALM. Friendship in and of itself can be challenging and something we don't always discuss, like especially like adult female friendship is like so important and major and also requires a lot of time and energy to maintain. So what does that look like for both of you? And yeah, in no particular order, whoever wants to jump in. Yeah, I can um, start. So I think working with a friend, it can go real right. That's like my favorite quote. It can go real right or it can go <laughs> real wrong. <laughs> sort of like basketball wives, like circa 2016 or whatever. Um, so the, yeah, it could go either way. In terms of um, how we maintain our friendship, I think honesty it's helpful, you know, like, cause I think that there's going to be times where something doesn't sit right. Cause it's like any kind of relationship, like you said, even if you're married, like something may not be like what you want or how you want it, or you, you may have had your feelings hurt or you may have hurt someone's feelings. So I think like in me, I, I always wasn't the best with being able to like you know, have those uncomfortable conversations, but I feel like definitely in the last, like, and you can tell me what you think, Wendy, in the last, like maybe three years, it's, I feel like there are more uncomfortable conversations happening. Like even when it just comes to things like pay, like payment, you know, well, <laughs> what if you're doing this event that's, um, they came to us through our brand, but it's like, you're just doing it. Or what if this, or, uh, you know, all these little situations that like, sometimes if it's, if you're just putting on a friend hat, like, 
that can be tricky because you're not looking at the business side. But if you're only putting on business hat, that can also be tricky because you may not be looking out for the greater good of like both people in the friendship. So I think that um, my friend actually, she said this quote that always stuck with me that um, like 30% of life is uncomfortable, like and or uncomfortable conversations. Maybe not. Th- I mean, I think she said 30, but like maybe it's like 10. So it just like sometimes like leaning into that can be helpful for me of just like, you know, yeah. Like if something that doesn't feel right, or if you're, you know, I mean, I think the other day, like I was literally like sent Wendy a, a WhatsApp. I was like crying, like, I got because it was something that had gone wrong with the brand partner. I was like, this is not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. And so being like able to say that is really helpful and then have someone, you know, be like, Oh, it's okay. Like we're going to figure it out versus just kind of, um, yeah. And I think part of that is like of having the friendship side of it too, of who, who can see like what's going on in your actual life that's impacting how you're showing up for the business. Um, So I don't know if I, I feel like I'm kind of rambling. I don't know if I'm actually answering the question, but also in terms of like maintaining a friendship too outside of the business, like I think, I don't know. I I don't think we've ever had a conversation like this is how we're doing it. I think it's just kind of organically Mm -hmm. trying to still like talk about things other than the business and sometimes take trips that aren't, you know, necessarily, um, about the business that's harder more recently because there, well, not with COVID, but before COVID, I mean, we were like, had business trips at least like a couple times a month. Right. But, you know, maybe if we go on, um, on a business trip, like maybe taking a few days just to like have fun. So, yeah, I think you, you definitely have to be like intentional about it. And it definitely, I don't, there's no like one way or there's no like exact like we talk about the business on Monday and Tuesday and the friendship <laughs> you know you just, I think you just kind of do stuff and then figure out what feels good and then if it doesn't like correct from there if that I don't know if that answers your question yeah no it totally like I feel like I have a um just a sense of how the two of you talk to each other and it sounds like it's like it's just like a lot of honesty and I think just even being aware of these distinctions is really helpful. And I don't know, I think about there's so often in my work life when, you know, I say something that has clearly upset someone or someone said something that's upset me. And I think all the time, the way I process that moment is like, I have no idea what they're going through right now. This might be from something else. So it's sort of amazing to me to just listen to you talk about this and think like, wow, like when those things happen between you two, you probably do know what's going on. And that's probably really helpful. Well, it's sort of like amazing. What about you, Wendy? Do you have any other thoughts on like maintaining your friendship, like within your business or outside of your business or however you want to think about that? Yeah. You know, I do think that there's an element of luck in there because um, I do have a lot of friends that have started businesses with other close friends and it usually goes real wrong, to be (laughs) honest with you. It usually doesn't work out so well. Um, It can be very challenging to work with a friend for so many reasons. Um, And I think that we've gotten really, really lucky because our personalities just go together really well. Um, I do think that we have strong boundaries between the friendship and the business side. Like it doesn't always just leak into each other. If there's something that let's say I'm not feeling that rubs me the wrong way um, on the business side, it's not, I'm not going to like take it out on the friendship. And, mm. um, and also there's an element of trust there um, where 
I know that Jess has good intentions in our friendship and with the business. And so I don't know. And also, I think part of it is like, I am not my business. Like, it's mm. something that we've created together. But I'm not like, you know how some people are like, this is my lot. Like, I'm not like that. <laughs> I I would be, you know, because I have so many other interests. I would be ready to walk away, you know, whenever if it just isn't, um, is, if it isn't working out. And to me, our friendship is more important than like, you know, the business side of things. So I don't know. I just, I never take things too serious. And I feel like that helps because I think when you get into like that, you know, oh my God, I got to hustle. Oh my God, I got to make it. Like, I am so not interested in that at all. Like, I'm trying to sleep. You know? <laughs> so it, it's just not that at the end of the day, I mean, it's great. And I'm so grateful that we've been able to create a profitable career out of something that we really enjoy doing, but also like, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And it's like, you know, I still will have a good friend and you know like I don't know I just don't really overthink it that way and I feel like in that way we've gotten really really lucky because I know that for some friends who are business partners you do have to overthink it and you do have to mitigate a lot of um, tension that happens um, that, which is totally normal and um, and natural but it just that just hasn't been the case for us and I feel like we've gotten really lucky in that way. I, I love hearing that. And especially because I think it really hits home that what I gather from the two of you, like the material you produce, whether, yeah, podcast, blog, what, you know, social media, whatever, like whatever it is you're putting out, the feeling I get from it is this um, like encouragement to live a healthy life and to understand that that word healthy means so many different things and I think it probably boils down to like what you just said Wendy like just trying to sleep well at night <laughs> like yeah. having like a sound just mind like not having so much anxiety whether it's around food or just life or whatever like and I think hearing you express you both have obviously poured so much into your business like it's clear that there's so much work behind everything you do but to know that like at the end of the day this is not you this is this other thing and that that ability to like be like, yeah, I could walk away from this if I had to, like, that's freedom, right? <laughs> and like, yeah, that's such a healthy way in my mind to think about work and life and stuff. So, yeah, it comes through. I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about like and anticipating talking to the two of you, like how separate so many parts of the like quote unquote food world are. Like, there's cookbooks, and then there's like the restaurant industry, and then there's the wine industry, and and then there's like dietitians and nutrition and all this stuff and they all are about the same thing right but like we're in these like separate corners and so I feel like I mean I'm rambling now but like you like you guys are able to incorporate so much into what you do and I'm thinking specifically about um this sort of weaving in of like social justice, like you're not afraid to like dismantle terms and stuff like that. And I'm wondering, this is a question you asked me when we spoke for, for your episode, but I'm wondering if, if that is something that um, comes naturally for both of you, is that something you consciously work to include in your work? Like, was there a pivot point when you were like, we have to incorporate more of this? Has it been there from the beginning? Like, what are your thoughts on that? And I know I just said so many things. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, is that's another great question. So <laughs> I, 
In terms of the social justice, I mean, I think it was always there because our roots had gotten started working with underserved populations, like specifically thinking about um, the farmers markets that we worked at in New York City that were all strategically placed in um, areas that were called uh, considered food deserts and really wanting to work with the community and people of color to help. I mean, in my mind, like what I wanted to do was just help people again. I wasn't thinking about relationship with food, but I was thinking, um, you know, things like access and also chronic disease and helping people who were experiencing chronic disease find a practical way to include foods that were, um, you know, accessible within their community, incorporate those into their uh, their diet and improve their health. So it was there, but I think in the last, like since we had the podcast maybe, which I had to start 2015, I would say like maybe a year or two into the podcast is when we started having even more of these conversations where we would, you know, bring on people who had more of like that social justice background or even kind of food um, and social justice background or body image or whatever. And that, yeah, that really started maybe a year-ish into into our podcast. And so it was just interesting actually, because, I mean, we've been talking about a lot of these different intersections and having guests come on and talk about them for maybe like, I don't know, the past four years Um, and everything in June happened where it was like this social justice, like awakening, which was kind of frustrating because it's like, where has everybody been? Mm-hmm. And also somebody had called, called us out on our uh, IG comments because we had posted something that wasn't related to like the social justice stuff that was happening. And they're like, how dare you? Do you see what's happening? Like, why are you not posting? And it's like, first of all, it was a white woman. So I was about like, to ask Emma and I was like, I don't think I that. <laughs> yeah, it was a white person. And we were just like, first of all, have several seats. Okay. <laughs> We've been talking about this stuff for years. This is nothing new because you're discovering it for the first time. And it just felt like, it, we just felt like gross about like how all that stuff went down. Like, yes, it's great to see these issues come to light and for people to be like awakened or whatever, but also like respect the fact that there have been people who have been talking about all of these different intersections for a while because it is their daily life lived experience or like uh, their career, their life's work. So yeah, I think it's been some, it's always been in the background, but like definitely more um, been more vocal in the past four years as is also, I think we have learned because it's, we didn't just, you know, you know, wake up woke. <laughs> uh, and not to say that I would say I'm like woke or anything, but you know, you learn and you live and you do better. And that's like what we're trying to do with our platform. Yeah. I think also because when we started out, um, social media wasn't really, um, a thing as that much too. as it is now. I mean, Instagram wasn't even created. I don't think when we started. So, um, I think also being part of this like online world, um, it's been very interesting. And I think it has also pushed us to um, question things and see things through a more critical lens, because I think initially when we came into this, um, it was like, yeah, we want to increase access to all foods, especially um, 
in communities that are marginalized. But then, you know, as we started learning more and as we got immersed into wellness culture, which we didn't even know that that was a thing. I mean, we were just like dietitians, kind of like, you know, doing our own thing locally. And then we were like, oh my God, there's literally like a whole culture of wellness online. Um, which has some pros and it I think it has a lot of cons because there are a lot of like nutritionists out there in the world that aren't credentialed and that are giving these recommendations or these influencers that are like, you know, if you eat like me, you'll look like me. And then we, um, I don't know, we just started thinking a little more critically about these things and how it, like the ways that it can impact people that are the most marginalized within the wellness industry, people of color, black people, poor people, fat people. And so then we started kind of like exploring all of that. And so I think that our views on food and nutrition, it has become way more layered, you know, and it continues to become more layered as, um, as we um, become more seasoned, I guess that would probably be an appropriate term for this podcast. (laughs) More seasoned in um our career so yeah um it 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 just it comes through I'm sitting here just nodding enthusiastically at everything you're saying and I think it's also worth saying I don't know hearing about the person who left that comment (laughs) I'm just like you know uh, like raging over here a little bit (laughs) at that and yeah appreciate you bringing it up and how you talk about it because I think I don't know maybe me asking the two of you how you incorporate like a social justice lens or a racial justice lens in your work is like a pretty naive question too. It's like, how could you not? It's like your lived experience. And I think the two of you doing the work you do in a space that at least on the internet, like appears to be very like dominated by white, I would say straight, like cisgendered women. Um, The two of you doing the work you do just in and of itself doing that is important and um you know in some ways part of the whatever you want to call it resistance or revolution or um yeah just part of like I think a more inclusive world and and for the people who you serve and who your clients are and I'm sure who you know your multiple audiences are whether it's online or listening to your show um it exists in a way I think your work exists in a way that I don't see much work existing in that space, at least from my perspective. So I think it just existing is major. <laughs> um, Thank and you. yeah, it makes a difference. Um, I'm wondering about within, I think like one thing I feel like we've talked about a lot in this conversation is just how things evolve. <laughs> um, whether it's like your personal just passion for a certain part of your work or how people's um, knowledge about things evolves or, uh, um, you know, a larger group of um, readers or listeners, like their knowledge about those same things evolve, like just the like ever evolving nature of life and work, I feel like is like a theme, Um, this sort of like ability to become more well seasoned like you said and one one thing that's really struck me about your work because I think it's it struck me because it coincides with like my own feelings about the following topic I just really applaud about how you've talked about how you stopped promoting weight loss and how that was something that evolved in your work um and I'm wondering if you can just share 
I just think that's really important <laughs> and it's like important to say out loud. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about like when you made that, um, that shift and, and what difference has it made in your work or in your life or, you know, that could be the same answer. When did you want to go? Do you want me to take it or? Oh, sure, 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 sure. Um, so, you know, kind of back to what I was saying about thinking about things through a more critical lens, we we were like, wait a minute, we're literally just like regurgitating the information that we learned in school without questioning it at all. And especially um, questioning like the cultural appropriateness, like the recommendations Mm -hmm. that we were giving. We're like, wait a minute, these foods are like like who eat the like this is meant for white people this is <laughs> this education was not meant for us and so in kind of questioning that also questioning these like body ideals um and reading a lot of really important work and literature on this and learning about intuitive eating which uh the concept was started um by two registered dietitians and they have a book that is very like foundational, I think, if you're trying to learn more about um, eating more intuitively and and also like it incorporates a social justice component. Um, so through like learning about that and connecting with um, other dietitians who are also taking on this approach, we were like, oh yeah, this, it just made a lot of sense. We were like, you know, why, where are these recommendations coming from that you have to have a BMI of like less than 25? Is that even realistic? Like, you know, most people don't fit into, you know, this ideal. Who created this ideal? What's the history behind, Mm -hmm. you know, this ideal? And so kind of like when you start unpacking that, you're like, oh yeah, this is completely BS. Um, And, and also like, our core audience is Black women. And we want to make sure that we're providing our audience with information that speaks to them, information that they can trust. And we don't want them to feel more out of place in their own body, you know? Mm. So I feel like those were things that we also started thinking about and having conversations about. And we still, I mean, we haven't figured it out. It's like, we, we have these conversations and that's why I love doing the podcast because we get to invite people from, you know, different lived experiences on and just kind of like learn from them in a, in a, in a way that is like curious. Cause I think with a lot of these um, conversations that are social justice focused, it can be very scary and um, intimidating. And that's feedback that we've gotten from listeners where it's like, Oh my God, I don't feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing mm. when like listening, you know, cause it's like, that's we powerful. didn't start out like just knowing all this stuff. It's like, we are very much open to conversation. We're not open to like, just straight up racism, ignorance, and like, you know, like stupid ass comments, like (laughs) one that we got on on our IG, but we're definitely open to dialogue. And we don't want this to be like a scary thing where it's like, you're wrong for not getting it right. Um, You know, because like, how are you, how are you supposed to think any other way when like, this is something that we were taught um, when we were in school to become registered dietitians. And it's like, you have to do all this work outside of that to create your own narrative of what wellness is, even as a health professional, Um, you know? So just like having a lot of compassion and understanding when having these conversations and just being open to different, um, to different thoughts that don't align with yours. 
I have nothing. Do you want to add to that? that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm like, I have up. nothing I could possibly add to that. Um, okay, I'm like, I don't even know that I answered your question, but no, I don't okay. even know what my question was. I just, <laughs> I, I just, or I guess, yeah, why stop promoting weight loss? But I think you just answered. Oh, that. right. You right, answered right. that and, and more. And um, yes, but Jess, please, if there's anything you'd like to add. Excuse me. Um, no, I think that that answered the question. And yeah, I think it, there was just like a lot of soul searching. And to be honest, when I first heard about intuitive eating and health at every size, because the foundation you're taught as a dietitian is BMI is the holy grail and weight loss for everybody, I was resistant. So I also understand when people are resistant and they're like, no, but what about this? But what about that? I get it. I actually just did a, um, a consultation with a online health publication on how they can approach some of these topics. And they asked me, well, how can we be a responsible publication and still help, help people uh, achieve their weight loss goals? Like how can we be responsible and honor all these different things, but still help people? And I was like, to be honest, I know it's like probably not what you want to hear, but you really can't. And that's something that it took me a while to get to that conclusion. And I understand it when people are kind of not there and they're in the middle, but you can't say that we all have the ability to pursue health at any size. And that BMI is like primarily, or sorry, that your weight is uh, mostly genetic and that, you know, fat phobia is a real thing. And, and also at the same time, say help people, um, or give people recommendations or whatever for like, for weight loss and trying to be in a thinner body. Cause those things are like, to me, and I think to like the health that ever says movement, it's like, they're, they're, they can't exist together. Having said that though. And I always say like, everyone has the right to do whatever they want in their own body. Like, I also don't want to be like this body police. Like, how dare you want to lose weight? Cause I understand given the culture that we live in, why people do want to lose weight and why, it is hard to accept ourselves when you're living in um, a very toxic fat phobic culture. So I also get that too. And don't want to be like someone who is um, probably, you know, considered someone in more of a thin body and telling people what they need to be doing in their larger body. Cause like, that's also not cool either. So I think it's very layered. And that's why, again, like Wendy said, I don't like to approach it as, like this scary place of I'm going to get called out. I mean, we have probably done a little calling out, but we are trying to do more calling on mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. And if, you know, if someone even on our podcast says something that we're like, Oh, interesting. Like, you know, like we had a guest today where she had mentioned um, the recommendation. We were talking about like feeding toddlers and kids, but with an intuitive eating perspective. And she had mentioned something that could have been perceived as problematic, I guess, like in the intuitive eating space. Cause she said like, Oh, you know, there's some considerations like sugar, you know, for kids. But what we did was just follow up. Well, like, what do you mean by that? And then she was able to say, Oh, well, this is like, you know, the American pediatric association says this because they uh, found that when kids eat sweeter things like X, Y, and Z, um, but that she said, but I don't really subscribe to that because it's like not that realistic. And also it can, you know, open up the, these doors of like a slippery slope when it comes to, um, 
you know, restricting our kids and then later having disordered eating. So I think like, I say that to say like, hopefully our podcast and platform is a place where we can have that conversation and not just like, you know, a place of calling everybody out. Cause like, I don't enjoy those platforms that much where it's just like, yeah. Yeah. And I think it it goes back to Wendy, I think what you were sharing earlier about, you know, me asking you just between the two of you in your own just relationship with each other, friendship and business relationship, just these like incredibly, and I mean this word like healthy boundaries. And it's like, so it seems like this applies to your larger business and your platform and everything. It's like, here's a place for honest conversation, right? It's the same thing, but there's healthy boundaries. Like if if you're racist or you're, you know, you yeah. say something that's just really harmful. It's like, that's not accepted here. And that's, I think how you maintain, it seems to me, it's how you maintain the safe space. And I mean, I know I personally respond to everything you're saying, like making this like an inclusive and approachable conversation. So I can only imagine, I know I'm not the only one <laughs> by any means. And I'm glad that that's feedback that you get. Cause it's really, it's just very valuable what you're doing and how you do it. I just thank you both so much for again what you do how you do it and the impact it's it's had for so many people and i i consider myself lucky to be one of them um and i also now from what we're talking about have like 1000 questions more but <laughs> we can do that another time um maybe together over a meal or something yes that, oh my god that would be great but um, before I let you go, because it's just so funny to me, this happens a lot in conversations I have on this podcast, because we're talking about all the things around food, but we actually don't talk about food at all. <laughs> um, but before we go, I just want to ask both of you just a very lighthearted question. It's like my favorite question, the one that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Um, so without overthinking it, first thing to come to mind, um, and I'm going to put Jess in the spotlight first. What was your favorite thing to eat when you were growing up? Okay, the first thing I came to mind was I wish I, I wish I it could was... have recorded your face just now. <laughs> <laughs> like the biggest smile. I'm sorry, I just cut you off. Hamburger helper. Yeah. Hamburger. Do I elaborate on that? I mean, sure, if you want, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it can it, just sit it, there. That's yeah. fine. Uh, hamburger helper was the thing that, I mean, and candy. Can I say candy? Course, you can say that anything. was the thing I was most yeah. excited about. Any particular kind or? Uh, Yes. Chewy, sugary, fruity. Okay. um, Which includes Skittles, Starburst, red vines. Um, Are you into gummy? Like gummy. Gummy. Yeah. Like smacking in your Uh mouth. Like a lot of people (laughs) hate that. Like my husband's like, oh my God, he he can't even eat like some of that stuff. He's like, how can you? But I don't like chocolate. I'm, I'm also like, oh, how do you like dark chocolate? Ugh. Well, but, more for both of you, right? <laughs> yeah. I so those are those are my. I I was I loved Halloween and trick or treating, and like I was trick or treating up until like I think eighteen, <laughs> just to get the, the like free candy. So that just goes to show, like, yeah, where my mind was at. That's so funny, um, Wendy. Favorite thing when you were growing up. You know, it's so funny. I was like, is she going to ask the question? Because, you know, I listened to like all of your episodes, which by the way, um, Vaughn's episode that you did with her mom was like, oh, so special. Yeah, I'm with you. They're One of my amazing. favorites. 
but yeah, I was like, is she going to ask the question? Because you, <laughs> you know I'm ready. I was like, I'm ready. <laughs> so my favorite food is going to be mashed yuca, which is um, cassava with fried cheese and eggs mm. and um, like onions that are kind of pickled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a typical Dominican breakfast and it's still one of my favorite go-to meals. So it sounds yeah. so good. And so good. Earlier today, um, before we started recording, I was just, I do this. I don't know if the two of you do this, but often before I speak to someone, like I follow you on Instagram. I mean, I'm clearly like a big fan, <laughs> but I just do like, I kind of scroll through the last few weeks and just to kind of have a sense of like where someone is, not that Instagram tells you that necessarily, but whatever, <laughs> I'm digressing. <laughs> but you posted, was it maybe a few weeks ago or something, you posted a picture basically of the meal you just described. There was like the the rectangles of the fried cheese. And I was, yes. looking, I was scrolling through this and I was like showing my wife also to show them, to show Grace, um, Jess's dog. (laughs) (laughs) But we were both like drooling over the fried cheese and like I was like, we have to make that soon. It looks so good and the pickled onions. So I'm glad you shared that because it's I'm like it's really cemented in my mind now that we have to make that soon. So Um, good. I'll make it for you one day when all this craziness is over. I will um cash in on that promise for sure. So um, (laughs) thank you for that invitation and just thank you both so much for for coming on and for this conversation. I just I am so glad we have it to listen back to because there's so much here. So thank you. Thank Thanks you for having so us. much. Yay, that, that was, was so fun. good. Yay. That was great. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> Thanks again to OXO for supporting Keep Calm and Cook On. Head to OXO.com. That's OXO.com for more. Connect with friends and family through a shared love of food. Try Soom's Velvety Smooth Tahini products today and receive 15% off with the code KEEPCALM. Order on SoomFoods.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Keep Calm and Cook On. Head to juliatertian.com for more about the show and for all of the information about my new cookbook, Simply Julia. A pre-ordered copy is a gift to your future self. Please consider ordering one today from your favorite bookseller. If you'd like a signed copy, head to juliatertian.com slash simplyjulia and check out the information about personalized copies from Oblong Books, one of my favorite booksellers. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, take care.